big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. I'm Molly. I'm Becca. Welcome to Pod Pod and Prejudice. Prejudice. We're going to talk about Jane Austen. We are going to specifically talk about the book Pride and Prejudice, which we are in right now. Full disclosure, listeners, I've had about three sips of wine at this point in time. For those three of you who have listened to our past two episodes, Mm -hmm. this is our first episode that we're not recording at like 10 a.m. Yes. So we're very excited to do what we do best and have a glass of wine in hand. Yes, that is our uh, number one skill set together, is to talk about pop culture and literature while we are drinking wine. Molly's got a red. I've got a rosé. Cheers, guys. Nice. Wonderful. Wow. Today we're going to be talking about chapters 9 through 12 of Pride and Prejudice. It is an interesting group of chapters to discuss in light of the last two episodes we've done because... The last two episodes are pretty plot-driven, and these are more sass-driven. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, it was kind of hard to get through. I read all of the chapters twice before recording. First, to just jot down notes in the margins, and second, to like type up what happens and what my thoughts are. And it just took a long time. But well, that's okay, that's why we're doing this. I've never read these books before. Yeah, no, Jane Austen is not brief No, as a writer. No. Uh, and that comes through in these chapters, but fear not, listeners, because where there is less plot, there are more uh, sassy comments made by certain characters. Yes. And this set of chapters is just chock full of people being so unbelievably rude to each other. Yeah, I would say this is the zinger chapter. Oh, yes. Yeah. Chapters. The zingers episode. (laughs) Beginning with chapter nine. Jane's doing a little bit better, but even so, Lizzie sends a letter to her mom asking for her to come. And so, Mrs. Bennett comes and she brings Kitty and Lydia, the youngest two. Kitty. Kitty, the the tag team. Jane wants to come home, but her mom was expecting that she would stay there a little bit longer. This is part of like the long con Mrs. Bennett has going on Bingley. She started with the horse and she was like, oh no, you have to stay there. And then she goes on and she's like, oh, but you're not doing so well. Maybe you need to stay in Charles Bingley's Mm -hmm. care for a little bit longer. But here's the thing. It's not that she's, you know, not doing so well. It's that she's not in mortal danger. It says, this is a a funny line, a zinger from Mrs. B. Had she found Jane in any apparent danger, Mrs. Bennet would have been very miserable. But being satisfied on seeing her that her illness was not alarming, she had no wish of her recovering immediately. Yep. God damn it, this woman. (laughs) She is relentless. This whole chapter is just one of those moments where you're like, oh, she's an embarrassing mom to have. She's the worst. But (laughs) in a a good way, we like her. This particular chapter highlights why uh, 
it might be difficult to have her as a mother. And this is where my mother does uh, diverge from Mrs. Bennett because she's not this bad. <laughs> Good. Uh, glad to hear that about your mom. So Mrs. Bennett goes down to breakfast and Bingley says he hopes she didn't find Jane worse than he, she expected. And Mrs. Bennett, I, I called her a conniver here. It's like, oh, she's worse, much worse. Uh, she has to stay much longer. She's not doing well. You, you Maybe you should go uh, w- uh, warm her up a little, Bingley. She, she's getting a little bit of a chill. Just hold <laughs> her for a while. I'll stand in the background. You won't even notice I'm there. I'll just whisper instructions in Jane's ear. It'll be fine. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, That's exactly what's happening here. So um, Caroline says with, quote, cold civility that Jane will receive every possible attention while she remains. We're going to get to my thoughts on Caroline. Mrs. Bennett talks Jane up, and she's like, oh, she's so sweet. She's suffering with such patience. And then she compliments Netherfield, and she says she hopes Bingley won't leave in a hurry. She knows his lease is short. He says that he does everything in a hurry, and if he wanted to leave, he would be gone in five minutes. But as it is, he sees himself staying here for a while. Lizzie says, you know, that makes sense for you. And he's like, well, are you beginning to comprehend me? And she says, I understand you perfectly. And then she goes on to basically call him shallow or a simpleton. I took it to mean that uh, she's reading him like a book. Yeah, yeah. Basically, she says deep, intricate characters are not so easy to read as yours. I think in that moment, she's basically saying he's not hiding anything. He's not mysterious. He's easy to read because he's not trying to be anything else. Right. And then Mrs. Bennett is like, Lizzie, stop being rude. And Bingley is like, oh, being a studier of characters must be an amusing study. And Lizzie says that intricate characters are the most amusing. And Darcy says the country can in general supply but few subjects for such a study. In a country neighborhood, you move in a very confined and unvarying society, which, okay, here we go. We we get into some, some Darcy, Mrs. B shit. This is... The drama. It's messy. It's messy. I went immediately to where Mrs. Bennett goes, which is he's being classist and saying that the country has a lot of simpletons roaming around, so your study of people must be pretty boring. And they fight back and forth, Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Darcy. And she tries to rail on London, saying that, like, it doesn't have that much going on for it. She turns to Mr. Bingley and is like, don't you agree, Bingley? And Bingley, in quintessential Bingley manner, says he could be equally happy in either the country or the town. Oh, Bingley. He's, he's so sweet. He's so non-confrontational. Yeah, he, oh, 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 oh <laughs> is he non-confrontational. So then she turns back to Darcy, and she goes... Still talking to Bingley, but looking directly at Darcy. Mm-hmm. That gentleman seemed to think the country has nothing at all. And then, question mark, Lizzie stands up for Darcy, says, like, Mom, I think you're mistaken. I think he's just saying that there aren't many people in the country to study in general. I, I think it's a matter of, like, pure embarrassment because, like, Lizzie is not her mom. And she has been able to sit in this house and subtly chip away at Darcy's self-esteem for, like, a solid chunk of days at this point in mm-hmm. time. And then her mother walks in and is just blatantly rude. And that's, like, not allowed. It, it goes back to that etiquette thing that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. So Lizzie is trying to save face for her inferior connections in this moment. But why does she care? Oh, because he's richer than her. It's It's all about the, like, higher class thing. Also... You know, you're trying to make a good impression for Jane's sake as for well. For Jane's sake, as long as we're not trying to stand up for Darcy. That's oh, what I no, Lizzie is, I think we can tell at this point in time, Lizzie is still firmly 
anti-Darcy. Good. So then Caroline looks at Darcy with a, quote, very expressive smile. And at this point, I think Caroline is, like, in cahoots with Darcy, and she's, like, like his best friend. She's like, oh, she's standing up for you. She's, like, coming to your aid in her... So that's what I think is happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's, like, an, ooh, subject change. Lizzie's, like, I don't want to do this anymore. How's Charlotte? Lucas. Charlotte Lucas. Mrs. Bennett says, oh, she's great. Oh, yes, William Lucas is so great because he always talks to everybody. That is my idea of good breeding. And those persons who fancy themselves very important and never open their mouths quite mistake the matter. Ooh. Sick burn. She is like, have you ever been in a situation where two people dislike each other and one of them's being totally chill and civil and the other person's just refusing to let go mm-hmm. and is causing confrontational problems in front of everyone. What, you mean everyone. this entire book? Yes. Yeah. I have been in rooms with that situation and I have been in that situation. Technically, I've been the person on both sides of it. Oh, yeah. Before, but when you're in the room and one person's just not letting go and taking everything to a next level burn, you're just like, oh, God, there is no way we're going to get around this. Something's going to blow. Yeah. For those of you who might not remember what happened in chapters one through eight, this is a a callback to when Mr. Darcy wouldn't talk to Mrs. Long at the party. Mm -hmm. This is very clearly directed at Mr. Darcy. Mm Mm-hmm. Then Lizzie asks if Charlotte dined with them at the house, and Mrs. Bennet says that Charlotte didn't dine with them because she had to go home and help with the mince pies. And here's where I think her superiority complex kicks in a little bit, or a little bit more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, She's like, you know, I always have servants that don't need help. They know how to do their jobs. My daughters were raised differently, but... Charlotte's a very lovely young woman. Mrs. Bennett's hyper-competitive nature to get her daughters married is really coming out here, and it's like, oh, the Lucas girls yeah. are ugly. Yeah, oh. she literally goes on to straight up say. It's a pity that they're not good-looking, and Bingley's like, oh, Charlotte seems like a very nice young woman. Um, Mrs. Bennett says, yeah, but she's plain. She's not like Jane. And then she says, quote, I do not like to boast of my own child, but to be sure, Jane... Okay, okay, Mrs. B. You don't like to (laughs) boast of your own child? Literally does nothing but boast about her own child. Uh, One does not often see anybody better looking. And then she does go on that little rant about all the guys who, like, had admired Jane in the past. Oh, she tells an entire story about how this one man was so in love with her, everyone thought he was going to ask her to marry him, and then he never did. But he wrote her a bunch of poems, and this part just tickles me. (laughs) Lizzie says... I wonder who first discovered the efficacy of poetry in driving away love. (laughs) And then Darcy says, oh, I always thought that poetry was the food of love. And then Lizzie says, yes, well, if the love is strong, anything will nourish it. This is, she's going with the food metaphor here. But if it's just the beginning of love and it's thin and weak, then one poem will starve it away. Which, first of all, Lizzie is a witty genius. I fucking love her. I love her. But also, this is so true. I think of it like, if a guy sings to me and I like already love him and it's like in private, it's very sweet, it's very romantic. But if a guy sings to me in public and it's not like already a thing, I'm going to be like, I don't know him. Do you remember how in college they would do like singing Valentine's for Valentine's Day? 
Yeah, I bought one for my girlfriend's senior year. <laughs> and then she was like, um, oh no, oh no. And I was sitting there kind of like also, oh no, oh no. But I was like, oh, this is cute, but oh no. Yeah, it's yeah. Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Um, was right about some things. And then <laughs> Darcy just smiles at this zinger and there's a very awkward pause and then Mrs. Bennett breaks it by thanking Bingley for taking such good care of Jane and apologizing that Lizzie is also there. We call the carriage. They're preparing to leave. And at this point, I wrote in my notes, where are Kitty and Lydia? Where's Kitty? And at this point, Jane Austen reminds us that Kitty is there. They are indeed there. And they pop up and Lydia comes forward and then they describe Lydia for a while as stout and well-grown. She's 15 years old. First time we get First an official age, age of yep. one of the Bennett sisters. Which is very exciting and I know that she's the youngest so that means they're all older than 15 which is not what I originally thought. No, I believe you thought Kitty was eight. Eight. I thought the first the chapter. Was mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was really waiting for you to get there, and I was like, it's gonna be great when she understands. I'm still gonna go ahead and picture Kitty as eight. I mean, you could literally picture Kitty as a as a little kitty <laughs> if you wanted to. Is that how little she's in this book? No, 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 no All spoilers. Right. All right, no, right, no spoilers. spoilers. She's good humor and one of her mother's favorites, which has put her into the public at a very young age, which I assume means that she was allowed to like go to balls from a young age and like yep. yeah. Um, and she gets a lot of attention from these officers, which has made her very self-assured. And I think it's also one of those things when they describe her as like stout and well-grown. She's that girl who like had to wear a bra early. So she steps forward and she reminds Bingley that he promised to give a ball at Netherfield and it would be the most shameful thing in the world if he did not keep his promise. He says that once Jane is recovered, he will. And Lydia likes this idea because by the time Jane is recovered, Captain Carter will be back and then the, at the ball, she can convince Colonel Forrester to give another ball. And then I thought, like, you know how I really wanted Lydia to be gay? Yeah. She likes balls too much. <laughs> To be clear, this is a family podcast. She's talking about the dances. The dancing balls. <laughs> she has got a libido for an Austin character. <laughs> anyway, the Bennets leave. Leave Lizzie and Jane there mm -hmm. by themselves. And Lizzie goes upstairs so they can gossip about her. But Darcy didn't want to gossip. He could not be prevailed on to join in their censure of her in spite of all Miss Bingley's witticisms on fine eyes. He's just really dealing with epic hormones in this moment. And it's also, it, she made that really cute comment about love, so he's like dying over it. I'm like rolling my eyes really hard. I don't understand this man. I don't under, I just, well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get, we'll get there. <laughs> Chapter 10. Bingley's sisters spend some hours with, quote, the invalid who continued though slowly to mend. This phrasing to me sounded a lot like, do you know Nathan W. Pyle, Strange Planet? Oh, yeah. Uh, Nathan W. Pyle, Strange Planet, did you write this book? She, like, laid out the plot, but then he ghost wrote a few chapters. Yeah. Now I'm picturing just those, those cute little aliens doing Jane Austen. Will you draw that for us, please? If you would like to come on this podcast, we, we are happy to interview you in front of all uh, 8.3 of our guests. <laughs> I love how the number just keeps getting <laughs> stranger, smaller and stranger. <laughs> so Lizzie comes down to the parlor in the evening and Darcy is writing and Caroline is watching him write and commenting on his letter. 
The other two men are playing cards and Mrs. Hurst is watching. Lizzie takes up some needlework, which I'm picturing like cross-stitch, mm-hmm. and watches Darcy and Miss Bingley do their thing. Miss Bingley, this is Caroline. I'm going to call her Caroline because I she gets called Miss Bingley a lot, but like, I'm gonna her call name her Caroline. is Caroline. I don't know the other one's name. Don't tell me. Uh, but her name is Caroline. Name Mrs. Hurst for me in this Mrs. Moment. Hurst, yeah. Yeah, but, but oh, just... Oh, name her, like, l- l- like, like, l- l- starts with an L, like, l- Leanne. Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> so for right now... My like, eyes just got so big that she could tell that I was going to say Leanne. It's because she's got Stepford wife energy. <laughs> Caroline comments on every line that Darcy writes, and he pretty much ignores her. She's like, oh, you write so fast. And he's like, I actually write very slowly. And she's like, oh, I would find it so odious, which I had to look up, which means boring, Mm -hmm. to receive so many letters, especially letters of business. And he's like, well, good thing I'm not writing to you. (laughs) And she says, oh, tell your sister hi from me. And he's like, I already did when you asked me before. And she's like, let me mend your pen. I'm so good at mending pens. And he says, well, I can mend my own pen, thank you. And she's like, how do you write so even? And he doesn't say anything. And then she's like, well, will you tell your sister this, 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 and this? And he's like, can you wait till the next letter? There's not enough room in this one anymore. And she's like, never mind. I'll just tell her when I see her in January. I love your your reenactment of this entire conversation. (laughs) I had to do the whole thing. So then she's like, oh, do you always write such long charming letters to her and he says I write long letters but I can't say whether or not they're charming and she says well a person who writes with so much ease cannot write ill and then I wrote does Caroline have a crush on Darcy girl finally okay so she definitely does and it's not subtle but I was pretty proud of myself I was waiting for you to pick up on this energy. Because for the whole time, I've so far been thinking like, oh, Caroline and Mr. Darcy are best friends. They're not. Well, you know, they get along. but They're Caroline... like forced together by circumstance. Yeah, and Caroline has this very uh, specific... Type? Thirst, I was going to uh, say. <laughs> uh, it's really painful, though. Because we've yeah. all seen that girl throwing herself at a guy, and you're like, girl, he's... Not Not responding. He's just not that into you. But here's the thing. Caroline is in this big old house with her brother, Mm -hmm. who is here to find a wife, as we know from the first line in the book. Must be in want of a wife. Her sister, who is married. Her sister's husband, who is obviously also married. And her brother's friend, it kind of feels like a setup. Like, if I were her, I would also think that that's what's supposed to happen. I get the sense that they hang out a lot, but it does make... This is this is a grander point, but Caroline Bingley makes a lot of sense for Mr. Darcy. He gets along so well with the family. It's a very wealthy family. Caroline's of really good breeding and etiquette. Yeah. yeah Unfortunately, so, uh, she keeps being like, oh my God, you write so fast. And he's like, no, I don't. Why would you say that? <laughs> Bingley cuts in to say Darcy doesn't actually write with ease. He overthinks literally every word so that he can sound smart and find like four syllable words, which then I started trying to think of four syllable words and I could not. God, um, there are a lot. Misanthropy. Cantankerous. Juggernaut. Nope. (laughs) I was trying to think of words that my seventh grade history teacher, he would do a word of the day and they were always like really smart words. Astronomy. Nice. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That's a little bit more than four, Becca. Uh, hey, you know what? If he can fit it in there, then you know what? I'll marry him. Sure. <laughs> Darcy is like, oh, well, we just have different writing styles. 
Caroline says no, Charles is just dumb, he forgets half of his words and blots the rest, and Bingley's like, no, you know, my thoughts just flow so rapidly, I don't have time to convey them all, and Lizzie says that his humility must disarm reproof. I had to look up all of these words. (laughs) This is a wordy few chapters. And humility is one of those words that no matter how many times I look it up, I'm always going to have to look it up. I don't know why. Like, I know what it means. Also, reproof. It's in um, Isabella from Measure for Measure. Mm -hmm. And every time someone does that monologue, I'm like, what the fuck does reproof mean? It means blame. So he's trying to, like, hide behind his humbleness. He's like, oh, you can't be blamed because you're so humble. Yeah, uh, it's, it's the common technique we all kind of do and by all I mean me and I'm doing it right now uh, of self-deprecating humor Mm -hmm. because if you say it about yourself first no one else can say it about you right and Bingley's got a little bit of that he's a soft soft boy oh he's so soft soft boy and then Darcy says the appearance of humility is often deceitful usually it's an indirect boast. Bingley's like, well, what do you think my humility is? And he's like, I think it's an indirect boast. I think you find yourself quite interesting because of your rapidity of thought and carelessness of execution. And then Darcy brings back what Bingley said that morning about leaving Netherfield in five minutes if Mm -hmm. he wanted to. He says, the power of doing things quickly is prized by the possessor, yet they often don't think about the hastiness with which they complete the task. If he left Netherfield in five minutes, but he left business undone, important business what good would that be to him or to anyone else and Bingley's like nay this is too much to remember at night all the foolish things that were said in the morning and he's like oh oh, I was sleepy I hadn't had my coffee yet same Bingley I don't remember saying that man why are you come on but he says like anyway I still believe everything that I said about myself this morning and everything that I said about myself just now and he wasn't just showing off for the ladies He literally says that. And then Darcy says, oh, I'm sure you believe all of that stuff about you, but Darcy says that he doesn't think Bingley would actually leave with such celerity or swiftness, and I think celerity is my new favorite word. That's a good word. It's such a nice word. It sounds like celery, but... And celebrity, but it's somehow... Celerity. It's like... Better than both. Very... Just good. Celerity. Four syllables. Four syllables. Wow. You know what? Points to Darcy for that. That's great. Also points to Bingley for calling Darcy out for always thinking of four syllable words. Oh my God. Jane Austen. That's brilliant. So smart. (laughs) Darcy says that if a friend came to Bingley as he was like boarding his horse to leave and begged him to stay another week, he would. Lizzie says that Darcy is actually showing Bingley off more than Bingley did himself. This is actually making him sound like a better person. And Bingley is like, oh, Darcy's definitely not trying to compliment me, but thank you for thinking that. He says Darcy would think it was better if when the person asked him to stay, he just rode off as fast as he could. And Lizzie then asked Darcy if he thinks adhering to a rash decision makes up for the rashness of the decision. Mm-hmm. Like, if Bingley was like, I'm going to leave in five minutes, and then a friend was like, no, stay, and Bingley left anyway, would that make up for the, the five-minute rule? And Darcy says, you know, I wasn't trying to get into this, but in any event, let's get into it. <laughs> it must be acknowledged that if this hypothetical friend was only desiring that Bingley stay and not offering any reasons why it wouldn't really make sense for Bingley to go. And Lizzie says that Darcy doesn't fully understand the influence of friendship and affection. That if a friend asked you to stay, you could stay. You should stay. And she says, if in any ordinary situation, this one aside, if one friend asked another to change some small thing, like a resolution that they had, would Darcy think ill of the person for complying without having been argued into it? 
And Darcy's like, well, we must clarify the degree of importance of the request as well as the closeness of the friendship. Dude, well, that's that's Darcy as a person. It's, it's totally like, Darcy. Like, oh, if you're not in my friend group, I am not going to make any effort in your life at right, all. Right. And that's what Lizzie's sort of poking at with him, which is like, no questions asked. If someone needs you, you should be there. And he's like, hey. He's like, I don't care, really. Also, he doesn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> he has, like, these four people in his life. <laughs> life and his sister yeah and then like a book probably he has a lot of books and then Bingley's like oh yeah and we also must know their height and size and like kind of poking fun at Darcy for wanting to go so deep into it and he says if Darcy weren't so tall now we learn that Darcy is tall he wouldn't pay him so much deference deference yeah we find out Darcy is tall he's also supposed to be handsome it's one of those things of like are we going to let the tall men get away with more again (laughs) we must not I mean okay not to get into politics here, but Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City, Subway is on fire and he is running for president. I think it's because he's tall. To carry myself with the confidence of Bill de Blasio, who has a 9% approval rating in New York City, and be like, you know what? I'm what America needs right now. <laughs> it's because he's tall. The tall man must be stopped. So so Darcy's entire demeanor Tall. Tall. And so Bingley's like, you know, if he wasn't so tall, I wouldn't respect him. Exactly. (laughs) But as it is, he's kind of terrifying, especially when he's bored. It's kind of what we get at. If he's got nothing better to do than to sit and, like, say four-syllable words, then then Bingley's like, I don't want to mess with him right now. he pontificates too much. Oh, my God. Then Lizzie perceived that Darcy is offended by this statement, so she doesn't say anything. And I said, girl, Why? Why do you care if he's offended? I think for matters of politeness. Caroline, quote, warmly resented the indignity he had received, which furthers my theory that she has a crush on him, which seems to be the correct statement. If I thought it were unclear or ambiguous, I would not comment on it. Yeah. Because I'm not trying to spoil you, but girl. She's got a big old crush. Oh, girl. I think it's the, oh, Darcy, you write your letter so well and all this stuff. At this point, there's no hiding it. Yeah, and these are like the Caroline chapters. These are about Caroline having a crush on Darcy. This is her time to shine, or what's a better word for it, burst into flames. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She's like a, a star. Spontaneously combusting at all times. Caroline Bingley is a dying star. Yeah. But I have, like, kind of a soft spot for her because of her situation. Mm -hmm. Darcy says that Bingley is just trying to silence the argument. And Bingley agrees that he is just trying to silence the argument. He asks, can they please wait to argue until he leaves the room? And I, I genuinely think that Bingley would always rather live in blissful ignorance of any kind of unpleasantness. He just wants everyone to be happy. Lizzie doesn't really care. And she's like, yeah, Darcy, just finish your letter. So Darcy finishes his letter. Then the girls are requested to play some music. And Caroline is like, come to the piano with me. But then Lizzie goes to the piano and then the other two sing and Lizzie just like flips through music books. (laughs) Why why did she even have to come with you? And probably to get away from Darcy. Oh, Um, Like Caroline wanted her to get away from Darcy. Yeah, it's also like what the girls do in Austin is like go to the piano together. Yeah. She notices, Lizzie notices that Darcy is just watching her and she doesn't want to think that she might be the object of admiration for, quote, so great a man. Oh, yeah, she just, it doesn't even occur to her. I'll read exactly what it says, because Mm -hmm. in this moment, I think it's not a third-person narrator. I think it's her... Elizabeth? Her, yeah, her brain telling her this thing. It says, She hardly knew how to suppose that she could be the object of admiration to so great a man, and yet... 
That he should look at her because he disliked her was still more strange. I feel like these are her thoughts. I guess you're right. The way I was thinking about it is like, oh, it couldn't be that he likes me because of course not. Does he really dislike me so much that he has to stare at me all the okay, time? Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But okay, so in this situation, why are the thoughts so great a man? Oh, like a rich, hoity-toity man. Okay, as yeah. long as we're not calling Darcy great. No, no, you you and Lizzie solidly agree on Darcy great. at this point. I'm really because I'm worried that she's going to turn and <laughs> like leave my team. Oh, God. I don't want her to leave my team. I am not going to comment on that. She thinks it would be weirder if he was staring at her because he hates her. She decides that he's staring at her because there must be something wrong with her, maybe physically, but she doesn't really care. She doesn't like him enough to worry what he thinks about her then he draws near her and i kind of pictured him like popping up behind her like a ghost see i picture him just slowly walking up with his shoulders hunched and being like hey (laughs) Uh, and he goes up and he asks her if she feels like dancing why i feel like (laughs) since he was like oh god i can never want to dance with her he has offered to dance with her so so many many times." times She just smiles, so he asks her again, and she's like, I heard you the first time, but I didn't know what to say. Quote, you wanted me, I know, to say yes, that you might have the pleasure of despising my taste, but I always delight in overthrowing those kinds of schemes and cheating a person of their premeditated contempt. I have therefore made up my mind to tell you that I do not want to dance a reel at all, and now despise me if you dare. And he says, indeed, I do not dare. And in my notes, I wrote, okay, this is sexy. God damn it. Uh, yes. <sighs> yes. They have the banter. I don't like it. Oh. But that was really hot. I think we all can agree that we all want to bang Lizzie Bennet. Yeah. Like, in this moment, Darcy's relatable. She is so hot. Yeah, she is he, hot. he does not dare. And, you know, he's, like, leaning in a little, and I will say no more. Yeah. Ugh. She's amazed at his, quote, gallantry, and I was like, we're throwing him bones here. He is doing the bare minimum. We are talking about bare minimum Twitter here. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't dare to despise her, so he's gallant. He's more bewitched by her than he has been by anyone else ever, and he believes that were it not for the inferiority of her connections, he should be in some danger. I said, oh no. If she weren't poorer than me I'd marry her like Darcy come on I'm vomiting into a cup that's what's (laughs) happening here and I also wrote that I love that he sees falling in love as danger like he really doesn't want to oh I mean it's so relatable yeah honestly yeah that's literally how I am every time I like a guy I'm like oh god this can't happen yeah yeah Caroline is like Lizzie, you should go check on Jane because she kind of senses that something's happening yeah, here. Yeah, this is where I'm not, like, this is no longer a spoiler because no. it's literally, like, she is she's en- envious. It says that, I think. in love with him. Oh, I mean. It, it. says she's jealous. I Yeah, yeah she's jealous. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. 
The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Then we get into Caroline's scheming. Oh, scheming and yes. dreaming. Caroline and Darcy go for a walk, and she tries to get Darcy to talk shit about Lizzie by talking about how, oh, they're going to get married, and how, oh, she hopes that he gives his new mother-in-law some hints about how to shut up, and how <laughs> to get those little girls to calm down, and worst of all, endeavor to check <laughs> that little something bordering on conceit and impertinence which your lady possesses. she's like trying to be like oh when you are wed and then naming all the bad things and then saying that lizzie's impertinent this bitch talked about how awful the schemes of women to capture a man are like literally one to two chapters ago saying like it was a mean art but she's the worst of all oh she is a thousand percent the worst it's kind of shocking she's one of those girls who's like oh my god i like i feel like we're friends so like i'm gonna say this thing to you and I like would never say anything bad about you. It's like you know that scene uh, in mean with uh, yes with mm-hmm. Regina George where she's like that is the ugliest effing skirt I've ever seen. Yes. And then Katie has the flashback and she's like oh my god she said that about my bracelet. Yep. It's that it, it's the hypocrisy mm-hmm. and the fakeness. It's so there. She's the worst. The worst. <laughs> then Darcy's like, well, is there anything else that I should be uh, worried about in my marriage? And (laughs) she's like, oh, yes, make sure that the portraits of your aunt and uncle Phillips, those are the ones from Maryton, Mm -hmm. um, are put on display at Pemberley. Uh, And don't let Elizabeth's picture be taken for what painter could do justice to those beautiful eyes. And then she's definitely trying to be snarky, but he says totally genuinely, it would not be easy to catch their expression, but their color and shape and the eyelashes, so remarkably fine, might be copied. And I wept and also vomited. (laughs) Oh, Darcy. It's one of those things where Darcy's a dick and he's incredibly smart. But, like, you get moments where you realize how deeply socially weird he is sometimes. (laughs) Like, she's clearly making fun of you, Darcy. And, like, maybe, maybe he's playing back. But to me, this moment comes off as, like... Oh, no, you couldn't capture him. (laughs) That's what it came off as to me, but when you just mentioned that he might be playing back, I kind of am like, maybe he's trying to get her to stop liking him. In my brain, Darcy doesn't realize. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's even more tragic. This is like the bitchy Eponine. Like, if Eponine from Les Mis were a mean girl, this is what it would be. Yeah. So then they run into Lizzie and Mrs. Hurst, who we're going to call Leanne. 
Um, <laughs> Leanne Hurst. Have also gone <laughs> on a walk. And Caroline is like, uh, didn't know you were going for a walk. And she's like, oh no, did they overhear me? And maybe uh, you shouldn't talk so much shit, Caroline. Yeah, Jesus. And Mrs. Hurst is like, well, you should have asked if we wanted to come. And then Mrs. Hurst gets on Darcy's other arm so that it's the three of them linked arms and Lizzie's just by herself. And the path that they were walking on is only large enough for three, obviously, to walk side by side. And Darcy is like, well, why don't we move over to the avenue? so we can all walk together. And Lizzie has no intentions of walking with them, and she is like, you guys all look so cute together. I'm gonna go. And you can see in that moment, like, the mean girls who are trying to cut out Lizzie, and then the, the boy who likes her is just like, oh, no, no, you can stay with them. And she's just like, bitch, I don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> and she's daydreaming about going home. No. Oh, yeah, she misses home. Yeah. Have you realized how long they've been away at this point? It's, like, three days or longer. It's actually been longer, so... Oh, because it's, it's almost Sunday, and for it to be a full week, Mrs. Bennett wanted them to stay until Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So they would have arrived on a Tuesday. So it's been like five days. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time. It's a long time to, time to like, be at someone's house. I know. They like sent for her dresses and stuff, but like I, I lose my shit if I haven't been home for a while. I need to brush my teeth. I mean, they probably have toothbrushes. Yeah, they, Do they brush their teeth in this time period? I think so. I hope so. That if one of our uh, 3.8... Three uh, listeners want to confirm or deny that. Uh, we're happy to listen. Uh, but also, you know, they're they're cleanly. They have like all the like accoutrements. It's a very wealthy home, and they right. sent for all of Lizzie's clothes, so she's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of like the exhaustion of staying and socializing that much. Mm-hmm. Socializing is hard. Mm-hmm. Chapter eleven. After dinner. That day, Jane is feeling better, so she comes downstairs, and her, quote, two friends, the sisters, are so nice, and it's just the ladies, and they're being great. Then the men arrive, and when Jane is no longer their first object of attention, they turn to shit. Caroline is immediately just all over Darcy. And you wrote... I wrote, it's supposed to be obvious at this point, right? Like, I was proud of myself, but now I'm like, this is too obvious. That it's was so my, obvious. Yeah. It's I'm so, so obvious. sorry. It's okay. I I felt it early on, but I was like, I don't think that Jane Austen writes crushes. Oh, that's all Jane Austen writes. I realize now that, that I was wrong, but I was like, oh, no, she's gonna. it's going to be more like brooding. We are solidly 11 chapters into this book, and most of it has been describing Darcy's crushes. Bingley's crushes, Caroline's crushes, Jane's crushes. Like, the only one not crushing is Lizzie right now. Yeah. So Darcy and Hurst tell Jane that they're glad she's feeling better. But Bingley is, like, running around, making a fire. He's like, are you warm enough? Here, sit here by the fire. No, sit by the other side of the fire. Uh, you got to be away from the door. Like, you don't want to catch a draft. And he just, like, can't see anybody else. And Lizzie is watching this from the other side of the room very provingly. Hurst asks Caroline if she wants to play cards, but Caroline had, quote, obtained private intelligence that Darcy did not want to play cards, and therefore nobody must play cards. (laughs) Um, So Hurst goes to sleep. I love that. I love passing out at the party. Yeah, he's just like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) Um, Darcy picks up a book, so Caroline also picks up a book, and Mrs. Hurst, after everyone's paired (laughs) off, is like, I guess I'll just sit here near Bingley and Jane and try to (laughs) be a part of that. Poor Leanne. The book that Caroline has picked up is just the second volume of Darcy's book, and instead of reading that, she just kind of reads over his shoulder and comments on what he's reading. Uh, Has anybody ever done that to you? It's the most annoying thing in the universe. terrible. I don't know what this bitch is thinking. Like, that is not game, Caroline. If you want to make him like you, try being witty or, like, being Lizzie Bennet, but don't just read over his fucking shoulder and bother him while he wants to be alone. 
sweet, sweet, stupid girl. Oh, wow. Um, so she keeps asking him questions, and he's like, uh-huh, or no, and then keeps reading. So eventually she closes her book, yawns, and says, quote, How pleasant it is to spend an evening in this way. I declare, there is no enjoyment like reading. When I have a house of my own, I shall be miserable if I have not an excellent library. Also, remember how yes. much she complimented oh. Darcy's library? She loves his library. Oh, his big old library. His big, 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 full library. So nobody replies to that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so she just literally, after talking about how much she loves books, throws her book aside and says to Bingley that he'd better not throw a ball at Netherfield because some people might find that to be more of a punishment than a party. And Bingley's like, well, if you mean Darcy, then he can go to bed before the ball. But it's happening as soon as, this is a weird thing, as soon as Nichols, who I'm assuming is the cook, mm-hmm. makes enough white soup and now, my book had an annotation saying what white soup is. It is gravy, egg yolks, almonds, cream, and negu, which is sweet and spiced wine with water. It might be pronounced negus. I don't know, but ew. Um, yeah, they, they eat weird shit sometimes in England, yeah, especially I, in this time period. I wanted to think that it was kind of like eggnog, but it has gravy in it. So To me, it's it translates as like a, a cream of chicken soup sort of situation. Sure. I can kind of get behind that. I, I, I would bet it probably tastes nice. We're both vegetarians, so this sounds gross. Yeah, I'm a vegan. There's... Yeah. There's no... Yeah, no, but I'm not eating that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also like the idea that like... Instead of a keg, it's like, no, we have to have enough of the cream soup. The weird cream meat that soup. That has spiced wine in it. Well, you know, that's actually probably... For cooking. Yeah. My mom, uh, on Christmas, makes this warm chestnut soup. That, that sounds has, really nice. Uh, it has port in it, and it's so good. I want some port. Oh, I, I hate drinking port, but I love it in soup. So, Caroline says that she would like balls more if they were full of conversation rather than dancing. And Bingley says... That wouldn't be a ball. It would just be hanging out. Um, And Caroline doesn't say anything, but instead decides to start just walking around the room to show off her, quote, elegant figure. But Darcy's still reading, so she decides to turn to Lizzie and ask her to walk around with her and says it's very refreshing after sitting for so long. Does she genuinely think that if she walks next to Lizzie, he will just, like, see that she's hotter and fall in love with her instead? You know, it's not a great plan. She really has not thought this through. No. But she's just so bored, and she knows she'll get Darcy's attention if she talks to Lizzie. And just, girl, you need to read some, like, feminist literature. Let's talk about self-esteem. Let's talk about self-respect. Lizzie is like, uh, okay. So she starts walking with her, and Darcy immediately starts watching. So she's successful on that front. So they invite him to walk with them, and he can imagine that two motives that they might have for wanting to walk around the room and his being with them on the walk would interfere with either motive. And Caroline is like, whatever could he mean? And Lizzie's like, I don't know, but he clearly means to be severe on us, so in order to best disappoint him, we'd better say nothing back. And Caroline, who is incapable of disappointing Mr. Darcy in anything, um, asks what the two motives he is imagining are. And he says, as soon as she allows him to speak... (laughs) He says that they either have a secret that they're discussing, which he shouldn't hear, or they 
are walking around so that he can admire them, and he can admire them much better from his seat. And Caroline is like, that's abominable. <laughs> How shall we punish him for such a oh, speech? girl. Girl. And Lizzie says, if you actually want to punish him, you can make fun of him, laugh at him, intimate as you are. You must know how it is to be done. And Caroline admits that she doesn't actually know how to tease him because uh, she could never tease his calmness and uh, his oh, calmness of temper. Never, I could never tease him. He's, He's too, too perfect. perfect. Oh, she girl. goes on. Then she says Mr. Darcy may hug himself. What does that mean? I'd love it to mean Mr. Darcy may fuck himself. But... <laughs> I think it's just like he can just sit on his own. Yeah, okay. And Lizzie is like, Mr. Darcy is not to be laughed at. Well, she doesn't want any friends like that because she loves a laugh, which is so sweet. Like, she just doesn't want anyone to take themselves too seriously. Of course not. Darcy interjects saying anyone can be rendered ridiculous by someone whose first object is a joke. And she is like, well, I wouldn't ridicule what is wise or good. I only laugh at follies and nonsense, whims and inconsistencies. None of which I'm sure you have. And he says, you know, it's been the study of his life to avoid those weaknesses which often expose a strong understanding to ridicule. And she says, oh, like vanity and pride. And then he says literally what Mary said. (laughs) Yes, vanity is a weakness indeed. But pride, where there is a real superiority of mind, pride will always be under good regulation. And Lizzie hides a smile. I think it's a smirk. Okay. Because like, of the because Mary's conversation, a nerd. yeah. Okay. And she's like, oh, okay. she she nabbed it. Okay, I wish I wish that instead of saying things like smile or like, I don't know, whatever else that I feel like I'm always like, Lizzie, what are you doing? I wish that Jane Austen was more clear <laughs> you, with me. You are just on edge because you are afraid for Lizzie. I am. I care about my girl. You're very anti-Dizzy. And so Caroline is like, okay, what did you learn from your interrogation of him? And Lizzie says, well, Darcy has no defect. Does he really not? She's like, well, no, he's perfect because he's not vain. Okay. And he's, like, tried to be perfect. Okay, good. Darcy's like, no, I never claimed that. I have faults, but they are not, I hope, of understanding. He admits that his temper is too short. If someone wrongs him, he can never forget that they've wronged him. He's been called resentful, and I imagine that all of his friends kind of have to walk on eggshells around him because once his opinion of them is changed for the worse, it is never going back. And Lizzie's like, yeah, that's a fault, but I can't really laugh at that, so you're safe from me. And he says, you know, everyone has some particular defect that they can't overcome. And she says, and your defect is a propensity to hate everybody. And he says, and yours is willfully to misunderstand them. Now, how is she willfully misunderstanding them? Like, is he talking about himself here? You're not even giving me a chance? Is that what he's saying? Uh, I feel I shall not comment. Great. I, uh, um, well, she was zinging, zinging Do you him. have a theory about what it is? To willfully to misunderstand them. Well, I had trouble with it because I was, you know, thinking in this whole time that she was, like, sort of starting to give in to him and their banter, and I didn't like that. But I thought that she was reading him pretty well. So I don't understand if she would be misunderstanding him. But maybe he's saying that once she forms an opinion of somebody, she, like, runs with it instead of letting it... I won't comment. I think think I'll let you, like, stay. I'll ruminate. I'll ruminate. Mm -hmm. Caroline doesn't want them to be talking to each other anymore, so she's like, let's play more music! And Darcy is beginning to feel the danger... Of paying Elizabeth too much attention. He's so into her. Ugh. It's crazy. Gross. <laughs> 
Poor Darcy. Chapter 12. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Fitzwilliam. Fitzwilliam, is that his name? That's his first name. I can't. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Did we learn that already? No, but... You, you definitely called him Fitzwilliam in an earlier episode, and I was like, what is she talking about? Oh, Fitzwilliam Darcy. It's not really a spoiler. It's just a first name. It's not Leanne. Why is his name not Darcy Fitzwilliam? That makes so much more sense. No, it's Fitzwilliam Darcy. <laughs> That's dumb. Anyway. Anyway, um, chapter 12. So the sisters are arguing about something. I don't know what they're arguing about, but it, it said that it came from an argument of the two sisters that Lizzie writes her mother and begs for the carriage to come and get them that day. She's just fed up. And Mrs. Bennet is, like, planning on Jane staying a full week, so she tells them that they can't possibly have the carriage until Tuesday. Uh, and if they want to stay longer, like, she could spare them a few more days. Lizzie is, like, kind of worried about not wanting to intrude anymore, and so she asks Jane to ask Bingley if they can borrow his carriage. And when Jane does, everyone's like, no, no, stay at least till tomorrow. And then Caroline immediately regrets this because she just hates Lizzie so much. It doesn't matter if she likes Jane or not. <laughs> Bingley is really sad that they're leaving, and he tries to convince Jane that it's not safe for her to go. And Jane is like, dude, calm down. I'm fine. He just loves her, he so, loves her so much. much. But I'm also proud of her for standing up for herself. Oh, no, she's a self-assured lady. Yeah. She knows how to, like exist without Bingley, which is good, and Bingley sh sure as fuck does not know the other way. <laughs> yeah. And Darcy is really glad they're leaving because Lizzie attracts him more than he would like, and Caroline teases him too much when she's around. Which also, like, dude, have you not realized? He's so dumb. He's so <laughs> fucking stupid. Oh, he decides now that he won't show any sign of admiration for the final day. Um, nothing that could elevate her with the hope of influencing his felicity. I'm sorry. Mr. Darcy, what makes you think that that would elevate her? That that would be something that she would enjoy? Oh, it's because he's so wealthy. He's a fantastic economic find for Lizzie. Like, he is so wealthy and he is so well-to-do and he comes from old money. And Lizzie's got these mediocre connections and they're made worse by, like, her uncouth mother. Mm -hmm. so, so if he liked her, that would be great, you so know? So in his head, he's like, oh, of course. Yeah. Like, she's gotta want me. I'd be so good it, I'd be so advantageous for her mm -hmm. so yeah that makes sense but I hate it oh yeah no it's it's the version of being like I am the captain of the football team this band girl I'm into like obviously wants me it's like Cinderella story yeah exactly um waiting but anyway for you, it's like yeah. waiting for rain in this drought useless and disappointing that was a beautiful beautiful moment true poetic cinema so he's determined that if she thinks that he likes her he will crush that idea in this last day he's not even gonna look at her and they're stuck in the same room for 30 minutes and he doesn't say a word and he doesn't look at her and just like the whole rest of the day it's like nothing it's so weird it's so weird and I was also thinking in this moment about when Charlotte and Lizzie are talking about Jane and her feelings and Charlotte says the brilliant thing that like if someone doesn't show their affection the other person won't know and I think uh I foresee a foreshadowing that Darcy's gonna be a dick which he already has been, but, like, once he wants Lizzie to like him, that'll be a problem for him because he's being a dick. No comment on that. Yep. So, Sunday morning, they head out, and Caroline is suddenly so nice to both of them. She's like, oh, please come back and visit. And, and in her head, she's like, bitch, if you ever come back here, I will, I will kill set you. you on fire. Yeah. <laughs> they arrive home, and Mrs. Bennet is kind of annoyed that they came home so soon. Mr. Bennet, though he would never say it, is very glad that they're home because... <laughs> He missed them at dinner table oh. conversations because he thinks that his other daughters are so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he's so 
said that that all of the animation and sense had been lost from family time. Oh, okay. First of all, rude to your other three daughters, yeah. Mr. Bennett, but also it's so sweet. It's kind of sweet, yeah. You missed them. So they go to see the, their other sisters, and they find Mary studying music and human nature with observations of threadbare morality to share. <laughs> Mary's a nerd. And then they go to see Kitty and Lydia, and they have a bunch of new information on their regiment. Several officers had dined with their uncle, uh, the Philip man Mm -hmm. a private had been flogged and colonel forrester is getting married all very good news all great this this seems kind of like mary's like studying like a bible podcast and kitty and lydia kitty if you will are reading us weekly like that's where we're at that's exactly what they walk into it's like the playroom yeah and then so that's the end of our sass chapters where there's not much to do except listen to caroline thirst after darcy she's so so thirsty so i have a couple questions for you they're great they're brief so i wanted to start with uh the mrs bennett and darcy interactions the frankness of mrs bennett versus sort of the closed off nature of Darcy and how that plays. Do you have thoughts on that? Um, I kind of picture Mrs. Bennett with a a boxing, you know those those things that boxers mm-hmm. use for practice. Oh yeah. It's like that. <laughs> He's just standing there and letting her come at him. Yeah, and I think like it is also formed by he's a man, a well-to-do, high-connected man, and she is like upper middle class woman who really cares about marrying off her daughters and it's a little confusing that she comes at him so hard but I think that it's she's still just holding this grudge Mm -hmm. because of what he said about Lizzie for sure I also do think it speaks to Mrs. Bennett doesn't have the greatest ability to hold her tongue Mm. and same (laughs) for real I I also think that's a mom trait to an extent but again Mom, I know you're listening to this. I don't think you're like Mrs. Bennett in this scene, I promise. (laughs) So the second thing I wanted to say is Bingley's crush on Jane. He really, really, really loves her. First of all, I wanted to ask about your thoughts on how it's developing and what he is feeling, and then also sort of about Lizzie and Bingley and their dynamic developing, because it's an interesting little... You get a little snippets of it through these chapters. Yeah, about that, I've noticed that... Lizzie loves to watch Bingley and Jane interact, and every time he does something, like, sweet towards her, she is filled with approval and pride. Um, Pride. Not prejudice. Not prejudice. Yeah. um, Yeah, she'll, like, notice that everyone's being kind of dicks, but then Bingley is actually genuinely caring about Jane, and she clocks that because she's very perceptive. As for Jane and Bingley... We haven't really gotten to know how Jane feels about Bingley. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We've gotten quite a bit of how Bingley feels about Jane. Yeah, it's it's all him running around, trying to do what's best for her, wanting her to stay, wanting her to be better, um, wanting to talk to her. But we don't really know what she thinks. And I'm surprised, actually, in these chapters that Lizzie and Jane didn't talk about it. Or that we didn't get to hear them talk about it. Yes, yes, that's true. Although we didn't have a lot of intimate moments in these chapters. Mm -hmm. They're mostly group scenes, for lack of a better term. Uh, Then the next thing I wanted to bring up was the conversation about Bingley's faults. Did you learn anything new about Mr. Bingley in those comments and conversations? Yeah, I loved that part. I have been calling Bingley a soft boy and a sweet boy. And I have loved him and all of the good things. But it's true that it seems like there might be some sort of surface level, not calling him shallow like Lizzie did, 
but he doesn't want to be affected by things. And that really came out, I think, in the moment where he is like, please don't argue around me. Just, like, wait till I leave the room. And I, I'm interested in how that's going to play into, like, him falling in love. Because he doesn't want to feel anything too deeply. It seems like he doesn't even want to get attached to any place. Because he said that, like, once he decides to leave a place, he's gone mm-hmm. in five minutes. But he's also the kind of person who needs 12 opinions on everything, like we've pointed out several times before. Oh, yeah. and he really depends on other people's decisions and opinions. And so he... He doesn't have a... I don't think he has a huge sense of self. And I think that he might be kind of aware of that. Or maybe he's not. Maybe everyone else is. But I'm interested in how that's going to play out with his relationship with Jane, who does have, like, a pretty strong sense of self, I think. I love those observations, and I will not comment on them further. And then I have Caroline's Kroosh. Caroline has such a big Kroosh. Oh, my God, this girl. I relate. I do. I don't like it, but I do... Here's the thing. Yes, but also, girl, first of all, you're not doing yourself any favors. Oh, no. She's making it so much worse. Second of all, be nice. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) Um, We're going to get to the thing. If you were trying to impress most people, I think he would be nice. But if you were trying to impress Dick Darcy, maybe you won't be nice. Maybe she thinks she's impressing him by being the worst. I need everyone to know that I was writing my notes and you know how sometimes you add E's to the end of words mm-hmm. that don't have an E at the end? Um, I, I wrote bitch with an E on the end and Beesh. I felt I felt very Jane Austen. It was- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, she's so cultured. <laughs> La bitch. La bitch. <laughs> so anyway, she's a bitch. Oh my god, she's such a bitch. Um, and I don't know why she doesn't just like Try to have a conversation with this guy that you like instead of say things. That, I mean, maybe she does try. Maybe she does try, and that's the thing. He's not receptive. Oh, yeah, but, like, girl, if he's not receptive, find something else. Yeah, but also, what else is there? Well, she's a woman of good means. She's young. She is, but she doesn't want them to throw a ball. Oh, yeah, but, that like, she has prospects in London, probably. Right. I guess she maybe she's looking for just a summer fling. Uh, no, she looking for a husband. Damn. Yeah. But then I had one more Kroosh to talk about. Great. And that's the Darcy Kroosh. Darcy's Kroosh on Lizzie? Yeah, that one. So last episode, we saw a little bit of Darcy getting this, like, weird, inexplicable attraction to Lizzie. And you asked me whether or not uh, it was connected to her smarts and her witticisms. And these chapters really develop. You see the moments where Darcy develops even deeper feelings for Lizzie, and I wondered if you had, like, reflected on the moments. The moments where it becomes deeper than just a... Well, like, you you get little comments where he's like, oh, God, I'm in danger, and then, like, oh, God, I'm in real danger. Oh, God, if I see her again, I'll blow a gasket. Like, he is slowly developing, and you sort of... It comes after different interactions with her. Yeah, and they're all fights. They're, They're bickering. They have a... I don't want to call it banter... I know that's what it would typically be called in these situations, but that sounds too endearing. Um, here's the thing. I know that we all can hear me being like, there are moments where this is cute. And, and I, I don't necessarily have a huge reason to hate him because the first thing that he did wasn't so bad. It's almost like you're prejudiced 
I'm prejudiced against him. <laughs> I am. I'm prejudiced against him because he's he's a rich, tall man who thinks that he's better than everybody else. Specifically, the woman that he seems to be developing feelings for, he thinks he's better than her and he can't like her. And every time that she proves to him that she is more than just her social status, he falls a little bit more in love with her. Great. And, yeah, that's that's it. That's All right, what I've w- noticed. I will not comment further. Um, then I'm just going to give you our standard enders to the episode. Funniest quote? Oh, I had so many thoughts. This episode is lacking in plot. It's bangers um, on quotes. But the quotes are spectacular. I read this already, but it's just... So good. And I want to use it in my everyday life. I'll read the whole paragraph so that we get a a little bit of context. Um, This is just after the story about Jane's suitors (laughs) sending her poems. And this is Lizzie speaking. And so ended his affection, said Elizabeth impatiently. There has been many a one, I fancy, overcome in the same way. I wonder who first discovered the efficacy of poetry in driving away love. I wrote dead. (laughs) Because Shakespeare... I mean, yeah, it's it's such a clever little humorous moment. I think it's a stellar quote to choose, so and so did Darcy, because that definitely was one of those moments where his stomach lurched. He was like, oh, <laughs> she's smart. Uh, yeah. Smart. I don't know what to do. Then next question is, what is a question you have moving forward in the book? Um, well, I remember early on, one of the questions I had moving forward was, these uh, Bingley sisters are going to fuck shit up, and now we're getting to start to see them fuck shit up. And I'm curious about the relationship between Caroline and Lizzie and how that's going to go moving forward. Also, now that they're back at their own house, what's going to happen? Like, they're not all stuck in the same place anymore, so... What's next for the plot? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. One I won't answer. Great. And uh, the third is, who wins the episode? Who wins the chapters? Who wins it because I was thinking about them the most? Would probably be Caroline, we can give Caroline the win on this one because she honestly dominates these chapters. She dominates them and also, I mean, she was just losing so profusely throughout that I just want to, I want to put my hand there and like be like, come out of the water, you're drowning. Just like, she needs to listen to Lizzo for a little while. She really, really like, needs some Lizzo in her life. Lizzo, if you want to come on the show. I, I don't actually know if I can have Lizzo on the show because I would uh, burst into flames. I would just, I would spontaneously combust uh, like Caroline did. Exactly, happen. exactly. So, um... Please do come, but don't, because we we can't handle it. Uh, (laughs) I love you so much. In any case, that is the end of this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Uh, If you want to find more on us, we have an email now. We do. It's podandprejudice at gmail.com. And we are also on Instagram and Twitter at podandprejudice. And hopefully at this point, uh, we'll have uh, set up a Patreon account for Pod and Prejudice, and uh, we hope you will donate to it. Uh, we'll figure out what our bonus content is going to mm-hmm. be. I feel like it might be screenshots of your book. It's so yeah. good. And um, also that thing that we recorded at the beginning. Oh, fully. Oh, yeah. we have a lot of outtakes. So. Yeah, we, we this is this clean, polished product you get is uh, very much the result of Molly Burdick's very hard work. I can You can cut that because I said your last name, but yeah. it's fine. And Graham. Yes, and Our Graham. editor. Oh, shout out to Graham Cook. Uh, for doing an excellent job editing our podcast. He makes it sound great, and we really appreciate that because we are not technologically savvy. Yeah, we love having a team. Yes, we do. And uh, until next time, uh, to our 3.3 listeners, uh, (laughs) stay proper and find a husband.
Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick with art by Torrance Brown. Special thanks to our audio producer, Graham Cook, without whom we would sound like garbage fire. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Prejudice. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash pod and prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening!